take a moment in prayer before the message. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your word, we ask that we are renewed and transformed. We are both convicted and encouraged, helping us to love Jesus evermore and follow him, his word, his commands. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. So we are continuing in our series, Joy in Times of Trouble, and we are working our way through the book of Philippians. Now, last week I started out talking about a values exercise, how to prioritize your values. You know, the exercise is to take everything that you value and keep winnowing it down until you're left with that one thing that you would rather die than give up. That is so precious to you, you don't want to let it go. And that's what we've been talking about. That was all of last week. And we took a look at Paul, right? And Paul said that, Everything in his life he counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. His pedigree, his accomplishments, everything was lost. He even called it rubbish. Rubbish. His whole life had been rubbish except for the sake of Christ Jesus. For knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we summed it up with this one particular phrase. We said, nothing in myself I bring, only to the cross I cling. I bring to my own salvation, I bring none of my own righteousness, none of my own merit. I am not worthy somehow to, to say that I should be saved, that I should be redeemed. It is all a gift of God, not a result of anything that I have done. The salvation I have in Christ Jesus is a gift that I can simply receive in faith. Nothing in myself I bring, only to thy cross I cling. Christ Jesus, his gospel. Paul said, that's the one thing. That's the one thing in my life that I will never give up. Now, if you remember last week, I also had some other questions that I asked you. And the question really was, it's centered around this, are the actions in your life centered around what you hold dear? In essence, if you have your priority in life, are your goals, are your actions, are your efforts, are, is everything focused on that one priority? Have you set your sights on that? And that's really what we're going to be focusing on this week. Are the actions in your life centered on what you hold most dear? So this morning, our roadmap, our roadmap, three things. Press on toward the goal. Hold true to what you have attained and stand firm in the Lord. So our roadmap, three things. Press on toward the goal. Hold true to what you have attained and stand firm in the Lord. So let us begin with press on toward the goal. 
And we have our scripture reading here. It is uh, chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. I just have 12 on the screen there for you. It says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's how we begin our journey today. Now, I don't know how many of you know John Wesley. John Wesley was a preacher in England. He uh, started what became known as the Methodist Church or the Methodist denomination. And he was a preacher with a heart to the Lord. I mean, he methodically studied Scripture and those around him methodically studied Scripture, hence the name Methodist. And his preaching became very powerful. As a matter of fact, you could attribute his preaching, at least in part, to bringing the whole nation of England, which was a drunken nation at that time, drunkenness was rampant, bringing the nation back to sobriety from his preaching. So there are many good things about John Wesley. However, he had some big theological flaws, and you can't simply overlook it. One of those flaws in theology is called perfectionism. In essence, you can be saved and then sanctified so completely that sin in your life is eradicated. In essence, you can't sin. Now, he did say very few people have that, but it was possible to be perfect here on this earth to not sin. And well, okay, you might make mistakes, but they're not willful mistakes, so they're not really sin. I remember having a very somewhat heated conversation when I worked at Best Buy corporate office in one of our Bible studies about this. A fellow said, I don't sin now that I'm in Christ. I was like, really? See, does Scripture teach that? That you are sinless now here on this earth? And the answer is no. We need not look any further than our text today. It says, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Listen, after 30 years of being in ministry, of being an apostle, of, of sharing the gospel, of going on missionary journeys, of being beaten, shipwrecked, uh, thrown in jail, of being cold, of not having enough, of making disciples and planting churches. Paul says, look, even after 30 years of that, he's not perfect. There's still much more to go. So if Paul doesn't make that claim, how dare anybody ever make that claim? To be perfect, to be sinless. There's only one who is sinless, and his name is Christ Jesus. So what motivates Paul 
to keep moving on, to press on? Well, it's actually in our text. The motivation for everything that he does is this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because of what Christ has done, he continues to press on. To press on. So that word, press on, it means, the way it's written, it means continually to press on, to continually move forward. I run, I follow after, I pursue, I chase. It's the word used for a sprinter, and it means this aggressive, energetic endeavor. He says, I'm running after this thing, which is Christ Jesus. I'm running after him with all of my might. Look, in his letter to the Ephesians, he talks about walking, walking in a manner. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 1, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. But now here Paul says, run, pursue, chase with all your might. He says this, brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I know I've mentioned this before here at Joy Church, but I think it's worthwhile. Remember, remember that movie, Chariots of Fire? Uh, Eric Little. Uh, it's based on true story of Eric Little. Now, Eric Little was a devout Scottish Christian who ran for the glory of God from the movie anyway, and I haven't verified it in the quote uh, in his autobiography, but I'm sure it would be him. It sounds as if his very words, he says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Look, you have to know that his running style, and there, there's a picture of him from the 1924 Olympics, his running style was ungainly. Professional runners laughed at him. But he would run, and he would throw his head back, and he would run, and you could just see him filled with the pleasure of God. And he ran. That's how God made him, and he ran for his pleasure. There was nothing else beside, behind him. There was nothing else beside him. He ran for that goal. His eye was on the prize. His whole being, his whole presence was on the goal. This is what Paul is writing about here. He says this, but one thing I do, but one thing I do, I forget everything behind me, I forget everything beside me, and I focused on Christ Jesus who is ahead of me. That's a pleasure that fills Paul. And Paul calls you and me to do the same, to press on towards that goal. Now, 
I want to be clear about something here. Because there's a danger in how we might apply this or misapply this. When we press on for the goal, that upward call, that upward call of God in Christ Jesus, it is not about your salvation. You can't be any more saved than you are. As a matter of fact, your salvation, as I started off saying this morning, is a gift from God. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do but receive it. And so let's be really clear about this. Your salvation is a gift, and there's no effort on your part. And you're at rest. You simply rest in the gift that you're given. And now that you are saved, there's a path for you to follow. This path is your sanctification, the process, being made holy, set apart for God. And in your sanctification, there are things to do, and it takes effort on your part. You're saved. There's nothing you do. It is a gift that you receive, so you're completely at rest and free. And now that you're free, there's things to do. Let me give you the analogy of marriage, right? So when you're married, on that day that you are married, two become one. There's a union together, right? And you rejoice in that union. And the next day, you're married still, right? You don't have to work to be married. You are married. And so you rejoice in that union. At the same time, there are ways to grow together in that marriage, aren't there? We do. We, we grow together. And quite frankly, there are times when our old nature, our sinful nature, wants to rise up and there's conflict there. There's a rebellion that can go on. So you can understand that marriage is given that day, and now there's work to do. And marriage does take effort, doesn't it? In the same manner, you are saved in Christ Jesus, you are restored, you are redeemed. And now there's a path to follow, following Christ Jesus. And it takes effort. You know, and the old self, the sinful self, the earthly flesh wants to rise up and rebel. And so there are things that kept being kept worked on and worked on and worked on. And we talked about this last week, right? We are to die to sin and live to Christ. And I mentioned Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 10 and 11. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look, this isn't really hard to understand. 
I mean, we can pretty much understand this, but it, it's harder to live out, isn't it? It is harder to live out. And thus, you and I need the encouragement that we are getting. We need the admonitions and encouragement from Paul's letter to the Philippians. So let's continue on here. Our next part in our journey is to hold true to what you have attained. Verses 15 through 19, you just have 15 and 16 on your screen. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul is talking about your path here in your spiritual life of, of pressing onwards towards that upward call in Christ Jesus. And this doesn't happen automatically for every believer. It actually happens once you start to become mature in your faith. See, once you become mature in your faith, the, the thing is, you grow deeper, the thirstier, the hungrier you are for Christ Jesus. It's not necessarily intuitive, but the more you grow in him, the more you thirst for him, the hungrier you are for his word for his truth, for his righteousness. And as we grow in him, something else happens that is kind of unexpected. The more you grow in your faith in Christ, the more you become dissatisfied with how things are, with how you are. See, that's not intuitive. But the more you grow and the closer you go, grow to Christ Jesus the more distasteful sin is. The more you see that you are not perfect and there's a long way to go. And there's that dissatisfaction that in part is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's that dissatisfaction that has you press on ever more and ever more. One person said, spiritual dis dissatisfaction is a blessed state. For Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then he went on to say, do you long to know Christ better? If so, blessings reigns upon your soul. Pressing on. Now, Paul in this particular section is also giving a warning it's not just those who need to press on, but I would say the opposite of that. You can say the opposite is apathy, but I think it starts in a different place. I think the opposite of pressing on starts with complacency, of just being satisfied where you are. Not a big deal, right? I've gone to church for so many years. I've heard that sermon before. Blah, 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 blah. 
check the box, I've done that, you know, uh, I can skip church for a month. No one's going to really know. Not a big deal to me, right? I still have faith, don't I? You can hear this type of thing, this type of complacency that happens. But when you become complacent in your walk of faith, ultimately it starts to create a spiritual void or a spiritual vacuum. You know how they say nature abhors a vacuum, so it wants to fill in somehow? Well, when you have a spiritual void, a spiritual vacuum, it does get filled in. Just like in marriage. Look, if you become complacent in your marriage, like, oh, yeah, hey, I was married and we celebrated our anniversary day and I don't have to worry about it till next year. There's a complacency that sits in, and that complacency can often lead to desires that are outside of your marriage. That can lead to your destruction. In the same manner, when we become complacent about our walk of faith in Christ Jesus, there's a void. And that void gets to be filled with other things. So let's go to the warning that Paul gives here. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. See, what happens is with complacency, there's that void, and you start to fill it with the earthly pleasures. And taken to the extreme that Paul's talking about here, it would be the sensual pleasures. We will call it hedonism, hedonistic. And there's definitely that sense of narcissism that I talked about last week, the idolatry of self and filling yourself with all of these earthly pleasures. And if you want to know how empty and vain that is, just read Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity. Nothing but the wind, right? But it's worse than that. Paul says it not only displaces Christ Jesus, it makes you an enemy of Christ Jesus. It's not just complacency. You become an enemy of Christ Jesus. Yeah, you can still do the form of religion, but it's empty. You become an enemy. Paul pulls no punches. He says it is their destruction. It would be perdition or damnation. Strong language, right? Because he is saying that you and I need to do this. We need to hold on to what is true, to what we have attained. We need to hold on to God's word, to the gospel, to Christ Jesus, to salvation in him and him alone. And then you and I need to imitate others who are strong in their faith. And we talked about this before, the necessity of having brothers and sisters in Christ who are strong to walk alongside you. And we covered this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We haven't had in-person church here for a while, have we? And I bet for some, maybe not you, but people you know, complacency has really set in. Not a big deal, right? And it leads you down a path that is dangerous. So I'm encouraging you as much as I can to stand firm, to hold fast to God's word, to partner with other mature Christians who can help you in your walk of faith. So here's a prayer, by the way. God doesn't answer every prayer. Well, he does. Sometimes the answer is no or not yet. But I believe he answers this one. Pray something like this. Guide me, Lord, in growing in Christ Jesus. Give me a heart to press on to the upward goal of Jesus. I think that it's a prayer that God will honor throughout all time. So we are to press on. We are to hold fast to what we have attained. And we are to stand firm. So let's continue on here. Verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Again, Paul reminds them who they are, right? That their citizenship is in heaven. And we talked about this before. I've talked about in February, citizenship. When you have the citizenship of heaven, it says you are not of this citizenship, but you are the one of heaven. And who is the ruler in heaven? Christ Jesus. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your King. And as I said before, couple times, you can't have dual citizenship. You cannot have dual citizenship. Look, in our era, our current culture right now, which is highly politicized and really focuses on identity politics, people demand that you have dual citizenship. They demand it. Because people will say, well, I'm a Christian Democrat, or I'm a Christian Republican, or you can say, I'm a Democratic Christian, or I'm a Republican Christian, right? You can hear both of those. Or I'm a progressive uh, Christian, or I'm a capitalistic Christian, or libertarian, or I'm a gay Christian, straight Christian, white Christian, black Christian, social justice Christian, or anything else. Look, when you start hyphenating, Christian, you've declared that you have dual citizenship. 
But from everything we've covered, you can tell I'm passionate about this because there is a winnowing going on in America right now where there's a demand for dual citizenship. But Christ Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And you cannot have dual citizenship. Christ Jesus does not allow that. It's an all or nothing citizenship. Listen again to the gospel reading that we had today. As they were going along the road, this is from Luke chapter 9, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Every time I hear that last verse, I think of the song, uh, I will follow Jesus. And part of that refrain is no turning back, no turning back, right? It's that pressing on, following Christ Jesus. Look, being a citizen of heaven means this. And Paul puts it very clearly because he gives a title to Christ. He says, Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Savior, one who has come to redeem us. Lord, one who is sovereign over all. And Christ is the anointed one, the one who shed his blood so that we may be redeemed. This is your Savior. This is your Lord. This is your Redeemer. Why would you want citizenship anywhere else? Why? See, the promise of citizenship with Jesus is that we are with him eternally in heaven, a place where there is a full restoration of body and soul. Verse 21 says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's a fellow, Murray Harris, who wrote this. Paul is saying that in place of an earthly body that is always characterized by physical decay, indignity, and weakness, the resurrected body will have a heaven, the resurrected believer will have a heavenly body that is incapable of deterioration. Beautiful in form and appearance with limitless energy and perfect health. All because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is sovereign and has power over all. So Paul ends this encouragement and exhortation. Therefore, my brothers, 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So for you this morning, questions for you to put into effect for some work on your part, for some effort. First one is, have you become complacent in relationship with Christ Jesus? So in essence, are the things of this world deplacing or replacing Jesus? In what ways are you pressing on toward your relationship with Christ Jesus? Now remember, this is not about getting more saved. You can't get more saved. This is about growing in relationship, the sanctification of being in Christ Jesus. And finally, are you standing firm? Firm in what you have received, holding true to it. Are you reading and abiding in his word? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the salvation we have in you. We thank you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are continually working in, on, and through us all to your glory. And in your name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.